Welcome to Piecing It All Together. Hey, I'm Randy Woodley. I'm Bo Sanders. Welcome. This is episode 26, and today we are hoping to vote in favor of the environment. Let's do the eco thing. Yeah. So we have been talking about several uh, topics that we wanted to make sure we covered in our early days here of this podcast. And uh, we've talked a little bit about the importance of land and place, and we've alluded to some elements of the environment, and specifically on our live Zoom chat, we talked about the implications for war as uh, the water rises and countries uh, come into conflict, but we haven't specifically focused on the environment yet, so we wanted to do that. Yeah, and this, to me, this is arrows in my quiver, this is my main concern. Yes. As the environment, if, if if we're not protecting Mother Earth, there's not going to be anything left for us to have all these other arguments on. Right? As you've said before, if there's no agriculture, there's no culture. That's right. So you uh, will use some different words today. We'll talk about the environment a little. You'll talk about the ecology as far as mm-hmm. the... But you also talk about, um, was it ecocide? Was that the yeah, phrase well, you used? Yeah, I've talked about... Ecocide is basically what we're doing to our earth right now, but um, but it also uh, parallels ethnocide a lot of times. Mm. So it's the um, often the brown peoples and the poor people in particular who end up with the worst kinds of degradation and pollution uh, that cor- the corporate America, our plutocracy, is able to dish out. Yeah, I've only recently become aware of how prevalent um, these issues are specifically around just little things like where uh, garbage dumps go and communities that can't protect themselves from becoming waste sites. Yeah, and nuclear waste dumps. Yeah, yeah. but but if you look at it through a racial lens, it is unbelievable how... yeah, how that whole system works. Yeah, so we're, we're, there's a lot of intersecting issues mm-hmm. involved with this. Um, uh, but th- th- if I could give a little bit of social history, maybe. Sure. So there's this, I don't know if you've read the book. Most people know about um, uh, Mann's book, 1491. But yeah. he also wrote a book called 1493 which most people had not read it. It's a sequel to 1491. 1493, I find even more interesting, even though 1491 was one of these books that sort of, it was kind of like the new Jim Crow. It turned around everyone's thinking about indigenous people um, and uh, the kinds of societies we had here and the population estimates and all those kinds of things. But 1493, he really talks about what, uh, how uh, the flora and fauna have changed so drastically in America here as a result of the people from New England coming over, primarily New England, um, and, uh, and the conditions that brought them here, which is really interesting. Huh. So the, the, the conditions that, um, uh, that were in place at the time of the great migrations from Western Europe were the fact that, um, that the, most of the streams and bays had been fished out and polluted. Yeah. The cities were polluted and disease-ridden. Um, you know, you always hear about, you know, the, uh, the streets of London. You, mm-hmm. you had to uh, wear hip boots in order to walk through the trash and, you know, carcasses and all the things that were out, out there and the germs. And 
The oak forest uh, were pretty well decimated, uh, being used constantly for forts and churches, you know, cathedrals, um, for castles and, and things like that. And so, um, the, in, in with with the fish gone, with the animals uh, going extinct, with the uh, trees yeah. and the biodiversity uh, dying out, they, you know, it, it's like a, a swarm of locusts who have their fill, and then they have to move on to get their next meal, right? Yeah. So this is sort of the picture of really what was going on in, in Western Europe, especially England at the time. Huh. And so um, they had to discover new lands, right? And so with the opening up of the passage to the Americas, you know, one of the first things that were exported were our virgin oak trees on the East Coast. Right. Um, everybody thinks it's tobacco, and then yeah. it was cotton, and then we forget. Yeah. Now, at first it was, it was oak. Uh, that hardwood, and we had our virgin forests in the east, and there's there's only one virgin forest left. That's the yeah. Joyce Kilmer uh, Forest in Tennessee, State oh. Forest in Tennessee, um, where you can see these large trees that are the size of, you know, our uh, sequoias and things out in the west. But, um, yeah, so, so they had despoiled everything. Yeah. Now, here's the, uh. the caveat. It's been over about 500 years, and the same thing has happened here. Now, what's the common denominator? The common denominator is a worldview, what I call the Western worldview, and it's also a Western Christian worldview, by and large, um, that sees uh, this living planet that we live on as a commodity to be used by us. Yes, so when you have a commodity approach to resources, minerals, natural elements, that is, you commodify them. And so to make them as resources to the harvest is just utility. It's just what can they do. And so it's not appreciating the, the life they have in and of themselves. Right. Right, like a forest for its own joy. Right, oh, and its own uh, presence of life yeah. and diversity, right? Yeah, I just want to say two things. Like, for if you're not familiar with um, why this issue is so problematic, it will pop up in really random ways. I'll just tell you two ways. About 10 years ago, okay. um, you, you just find, you stumble into, like, odd things, and you don't catch it at first. But I was reading uh, a National Geographic, and it was just about uh, Jamestown, Mm -hmm. right? This is probably about 10 or 15 years ago this came out. And it just happened to mention, just in passing, that the deciduous forest 500 years ago was so thick that a squirrel, this is just like a funny line, that a squirrel could have gone from the Chesapeake Bay of Virginia all the way to the Mississippi without ever having touched the ground. Mm. And I just thought, well, that can't be true. Oh, right? Like it hit me like, no, what, that, come on. Yeah. But if that's true, or even close to being true, and you realize just the sheer number of trees that would have represented, and how the way that we farm requires for those things to go away. Mm-hmm. You have to modify the environment in order to farm the way we do. Yeah. Now... The, the other thing, I don't want to create um, sort of like this fully wooded myth, is that the indigenous people on the east coast and the southeast and the northeast 
had already done all the clearing to create villages and places to grow their corn, corn, bean, squash, you know, yeah. sunflowers, some um, uh, uh, sunchokes, uh, peppers, you know, all of those kinds of things. And so that there were still not in a monocultural way and not in this giant vast. It was just every village had its sort of own giant plot. Um, and but but there was all these things that were already cleared in which all these crops had been growing for thousands of huh. years, right? Yeah. And so it wasn't just this wooded, because sometimes you'll hear people say, you know, that it was just this vast wilderness, right? Mm-hmm. So it was this vast wilderness that was already cleared out. And that also sort of begs uh, a little bit of um, tugging at this American myth that, you know, the settlers moved out and had the you know, cut down all the trees and plow the ground. No, the first thing they did was they took over all the native villages, yeah. right, that already were set and had been being planted yeah. uh, for thousands of years. So, yeah, um, yeah. so I, I just want to mention that. Yeah. Uh, it was a vast wilderness, yeah. um, but it was a wilderness that has, was already being macro-managed well. Huh, that's good clarification. The second one that popped up for me was um, remember when the Haiti the earthquake happened? This is probably more than ten years ago. Right. I remember in the days following the earthquake, you know, news stories would come up trying to explain like why that earthquake was so devastating. And you stumble into a colonial history where you realize like what you said about the trees being mm-hmm. shipped back. Yep. And you think, really? And so they mentioned if you go on Google Earth had just come out at that point. If you go on Google Earth and you look at the island, which is completely cut in half, right, by a colonial line. Right. One half, the east half is wooded, and the west half is not. And that happened because when Haiti got its quote-unquote independence, its penalty from its colonial um, occupier was to deforest and ship back the wood to France. Anything that's why the mudslides were so devastating mm-hmm. is because the hills had been deforested as payment for its independence to get away from its colonial overlord. Like, what is happening in this news story? And, and then, uh, to build their houses out of cement, they have to actually ship in the cement oh uh, in order from a colonial power in, in order to build the houses. And oh. that was some of the most devastating because of this... Giant cement roofs and floors and everything were caving in, right? Yeah. So, um, and, and by the way, cement is is one of the largest per, per polluters out of the largest industry, wow. uh, you know, which is the housing industry. Uh, but cement is one of the, the most vile polluters of, of any yeah. of the materials that are made. So, I just bring those two things up to say that, you know, for people who are not familiar with how problematic our relationship currently, the capitalist structure right is mm-hmm. with um the the commodity commodification the commodity culture um it'll pop up in weird news stories like you know you just be reading about something like right about natural woods right. so like you know nick offerman will get a, a show and they'll they'll highlight how he's become a wood a wood he works with wood he's a carpenter now mm-hmm. and he'll talk about the old forest, right. and so it'll pop up in weird places, and he'll mention this thing. Or when there's an earthquake, like in Haiti, and you think, well, why was it that devastating? But it's those places where you catch the remnant or the ghost, the specter 
of this mentality that you're talking about in really obvious ways if you know what you're looking for. Well, in another place that intersects, of course, the most obvious, um, which um, you, you might miss if you're just a sort of like a, a uh, in the dominant culture and, and you just assume that everything just sort of happened to get you there in a good way, uh, is that when you, you commodify your resources, uh, and especially under a sort of unbridled capitalism, um, then number one, you have to have more land. Uh, so, you know, like think of tobacco and cotton, etc. Um, so you have to kill more natives and move more natives out in order to have that. And then you have to bring in um, slaves to uh, work that land. First, the natives were slaves for about 150 years before um, West African chattel slavery uh, began. Um, and then after that, it was just a problem with the native people always being able to run back to villages and knowing the land. And so it was much easier to bring people who were not familiar with the land. And that was the beginning of the slave trade. And, and they just produced more and more commodities. That was the whole point. It had nothing to do with people feeding themselves, feeding their families. And it had nothing to do uh, with the kind of sharing that the native people were already doing. Um, among each other in cooperation. And so it became this, you know, vile, uh, ugly thing that would just set out to really destroy the earth. Uh, and now we're reaping the consequences of it. You know, right now we have uh, our topsoil is disappearing. Our forests are shrinking tremendously. The rainforest covers less than 6% of the planet now. That's a big change. We're losing our diversity of species. I can't remember how many species of plants, insects, animals we lose daily, but especially our big fish and our big mammals. Um, most of those, those things that we've grown up with, tigers and giraffes and whales and other things, they say by 2050 we'll, all, uh, that we'll lose 50% of our um, large mammal species. And our children, our grandchildren will never be able to know that except for in the same way that we know dinosaurs, right? So, um, you know, tell me about a giraffe, Dad. Were you around our grandpa when giraffes were here? Um, our coral reefs are dying. Uh, desertification is advancing. Um, all the plants, fish, insects, birds, animal species all going extinct. And, uh, and our oceans and our water systems, our aquifers are all being depleted uh, beyond their recharge uh, rates. And so, um, you know, we are headed for serious, serious trouble because that not only affects the earth herself, which we, I believe, and our, our indigenous peoples believe is alive, um, that it is a, a, a something that we live in relationship with and we are part of that relationship. We're connected to it. And what happens to the earth happens to ourselves and vice versa. But it also will affect human health. It'll affect health by the devastation of the disasters that are occurring. It'll affect human health by uh, waterborne diseases. And as new uh, glaciers continue to melt, they unleash uh, bacteria and diseases that have never been around before. It will, uh, the constant um, forest fires will create emphysema and, you know, um, asthma and heart-related respiratory diseases. Um, there's just so many ways, uh, drownings, you know, that human health is going to pay the price for this. And, and before we end this, I want to give you my theory of, of what I see happening from 
perhaps a more indigenous perspective. Okay. But what I've stated so far is just sort of the facts. Yeah. Right? And so everyone's, um, I think, newly aware or reminded of this because the UN study was just released uh, last week. And um, it really caught people's attention because, you know, there's this whole measure of, like, if the Earth increases 1.3 degrees over the next 10 years mm-hmm. versus 2.3, and, right, it gets really technical. But the simple fact is, when the bottom line that sort of everybody took away from this UN study is we basically have 12 years to get our act together and have a different relationship with the energy system, or we're in big trouble. Yeah. So let me um, uh, uh, kind of sync that 12 years with the Mayan calendar, Mayan prophecies. Uh-oh. So in 2013, not 2012, as some people presumed, it's actually 2013, um, the, uh, the, the Mayan prophecies in the Mayan calendar basically said that 2013 would sort of be um, our last chance to uh, avoid a constant life of chaos. So, um, so if you go uh, 12 years from 2013, that makes 2025. So that's a right at the same time, right? Wow. So in, in what they say is, the, the Mayans said, if during these 12 years, this sort of padding years that we have, that we don't make world peace, that we don't begin to live in the way with the earth that we're supposed to, that we don't stop our wars then we will be in a constant state of chaos and it will be unretrievable at that point. Now, there are other tribes um, that, that have similar things that, that coincide with that. There are Hopis and the Mohawks and others who have, who have sort of substantiating prophecies. Now, I've never been, you know, really put a whole lot of stock in prophecy, but the signs are too clear for me that I'm fully uh, on board with that. I, I think that's true. So this is a time that we have to totally wage peace, shalom, the yukti, whatever you call it, mbutu, um, whatever it is, um, we have to begin to uh, bring peace to this planet and well-being to all of us together. Um, because the planet is fighting back. Mother Earth is actually um, fighting against us who are trying to be the top predator. We're, we're trying to be, it used to be that um, if you sort of look at the big picture of earth energy, yeah. that um, phytoplankton are actually the, the, the entities that create the most energy on earth, believe it or not. Yeah. And that plankton eat those phytoplankton. So they're the number one consumer, plankton. All this is going on in the ocean without us even knowing it, right? Uh, Earth's got this way of doing things that just takes care of, takes care of itself. And, and so everybody else after plankton are just tertiary consumers. Wow. Mammals, us, everything. But even insects, just tertiary consumers. But now, in the last 50 years, we have, especially non-renewable resources, we begin to tap out the earth for her resources. Yeah. Talking about the water and the minerals and, and uh, everything else. To the point where we have now challenged that natural cycle, we've challenged the way that Mother Earth does things, and that we have become now the number one consumers of energy on Earth. And the Earth is fighting back. The Earth is, is shaking us off. And uh, it doesn't matter what your philosophy is, you're going to suffer with everybody else. It doesn't matter, you know, if, 
if we don't stop what we're doing and let the earth back at rest again, um, then we're all going to pay the price for it. And we lose, we may even lose our chance to, to be those co-sustainers of this good earth that we have the privilege of, of being. Now, to some people that might sound really weird, right? Yeah. You think? Yes. I think that that's, uh, uh, for some people, that's going to be a new concept or a novel way to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's, um, I mean, you can, even if you just want to think of that as a, as some sort of a, you know, metaphorical yeah. analogy or something <laughs> like, like that. That's it's, what, it's, yeah, a poetic yeah. way of speaking. Yeah. I believe it's real, but think of it whatever way it, it works for you to actually do something about it. I had an interesting experience about, uh, Five years ago. So when I was uh, evangelical, you know, we would go on mission trips. Mm -hmm. And now that I work with uh, liberal mainline folks, we don't do missions, right? Because we recognize the colonial legacy. So we do service trips. They're exactly the same, except we don't try and lead anyone to Jesus. Uh We just go to, like, native reservations and uh, help fix up uh, elders' houses or people who need wheelchair access or whatever it is. We build ramps and we do roofs. It's the exact same thing, but just, you know, kinder. And we don't try and lead people to Jesus. Anyway, so we call them service trips. So we're on this service trip. And the one cool thing I will say about uh, the difference, you know, between the two is that on Tuesday night, so the camp started on Monday, and on Tuesday night was always a community night where we brought in a leader from the community that was hosting us to teach us about their community. And uh, it was always interesting. But this one time, it got a little contentious Mm. because one of the young people who um, was there, you know, it was a question and answer time, asked this really aggressive question and said, you know, I've been doing some research. We were in New Mexico. Mm -hmm. And said, I've been doing some research before we came here. And, uh, you know, the cancer rate around here is like astronomically high. And uh, so you talk about living in harmony with the environment and everything, but he was like throwing this back in the elder's face, right? In the tribal leader's face saying, Oh, you know, but you have, you know, this high cancer rate. But then he was trying to say like, well, maybe it's genetic, so, you know, cause people are always trying to explain things away. And this tribal leader says, we have this mine yeah. just down the road where the government yeah. of New Mexico has given away all of these mineral permissions, right? Permits. And we can't, no matter how, on our sacred land, and no matter how much we protest, we can't, right, stop it. And then he basically said, look, if you're going to cut into your mother and take what you value out of her, there will be repercussions. Yeah. And in this case, it's, right, the cancer is haunting our community. Exactly. You should have heard, after he left, the grumbling amongst the adult leaders. Like, you can't just say stuff like that. Because that narrative was so um, uh, troubling to them to frame it like that. Right. And, um, and it called into question the entire approach we take to mining yeah. and minerals and resources. It was, it was like eye-opening to me because... I was familiar with that kind of poetic, if you want to go that way, way that the tribal elder explained it, Mm -hmm. but it was new to the other Christian leaders who had brought their youth on this service trip. And the amount of grumbling and and 
frustration that evening was tangible. Yeah. So an, another way to to sort of think of this in capitalistic terms is the money that it costs mm-hmm. to fix these problems, right? Yeah. So um, if we're going to continue having these natural quote, these natural disasters. It's going to continue. I mean, yeah. the scale, if you look at the, the cost in the billions, yes. it's just been a, almost a constant, not quite constant, but almost just this you know, constant move up to the, to the multi-multi-billions and billions of dollars that it costs each year mm-hmm. more and more to deal with these disasters. And we start talking about you know, national debt and those kinds of things. You know, we're just asking for it. We're asking for it. And war does the same thing. And so we, we have to begin to live in a different way. That's the bottom line. You know, we all have to do it individually, and we have to do it structurally. I know I'm piggybacking on your points this morning, but it's just sparking so many things. You know, when the only time that most people really think about this, the, the way that you're saying it, is after like a big hurricane right. or a national news story, like a forest fire, when they say like, you know, it's estimated that this fire, it, which burned X number of millions of acres, is going to cost $4 billion to the economy. That's the only frame of reference people have, often, for how expensive it is to live the way that we're living. Yeah. And, you know, but then we'll say, well, we don't have the money to fix it. <laughs> and I, I'm not sure we can afford not to. We can't afford not to, but we don't need the money to fix it. We need the will to fix mm-hmm. it. That's the problem. The will is not there. I mean, when we are paying uh, for a gallon of water, what we're paying for ga- a gallon of gas now, yeah. you know, or maybe even for a bottle of water, yeah. um, then people might start to think twice. Let me just talk about water for a second. All right. Because the water is disappearing. The aquifers are being overpumped, like I mentioned, beyond the recharge rates. Um, I think the... Um, uh, the the aquifer that goes through South Dakota, North Dakota, um, mm-hmm. uh, Kansas, some of that, they say, I think by 2020, they believe that will be pumped up Whoa. from all this, from this dry land monocultural farming. Um, rise in temperature boost evaporation rates. So there's water's disappearing that way. The rainfall patterns have been altered. Even in our uh, the state where we're broadcasting from right now in Oregon, you know, my wife and I are farmers, and the last two summers have been droughts. I mean, complete droughts. So much so that we actually had to replace our well this year because we, it's put so much pressure on it. Um, inadequate snowmelt, feeding rivers during the dry seasons, especially in the West, that's what they depend on. Um, the uh, politics of corporations and governments and dams and all the water that's used and all of those things to keep those going. Our hydrological cycles are uh, tied to the climate. And so, you know, we're seeing a lot of rain in some places and not any rain in other places that used to get more moderate rain at various times. Um, Farmlands are continuing to be developed without any concern for the water that has to be used. And and there's so many uh, um, principles of biodiversity and permaculture and other things that could be used to save water, but none of those are being employed. You go out in the worst droughts in the middle of summer, and even on rainy days, you see these giant, mm-hmm. you know, pumps just pumping out water, yeah. you know, way out into the fields. It's not needed like that, right? So, uh, but that's uh, still allowed to be done. Um, lakes are disappearing. Water tables are falling. 
the tundra is melting. We have a lot of indigenous people who are losing their villages yeah. now in Alaska and uh, places like that. And then probably the, the most hideous, insidious, uh, see if I can find another word to rhyme with that, uh, <laughs> um, uh, the thing that's happening is the corporatization of water. So you have um, the, these, the, the, or the privatization of these corporations like Nestle's, like um, Coca-Cola, like PepsiCo. You know, those kinds of places will go in create water bottling plants they'll they'll drain springs and aquifers dry they leave it a total uh you know decimated when when it's over with and um we continue to buy their water right Mm -hmm. and they just put them other different different names we continue to buy their soda drinks and all that they should be outlawed now we haven't even talked about what's going on in terms of poisoning us through our food systems so there's another study that just came out two weeks ago that talked about um that people who eat organically have uh, like over a 25%, I can't remember exactly, uh, less chance of having a whole number of diseases, cancers and et cetera. And I'm like, no, duh. You know, right? I mean, you, if you, you're you not eating and drinking poison, you're not going to get a lot of these diseases, right? Mm-hmm. Like cancer. Um, so, and yet, we can't even in states who are as liberal as Washington and Oregon, we can't even win a law against in in this um plutocracy right so the, that means you're fighting against the corporates right um because uh, that will just say you have to label your products as gmo genetically modified you know which is another whole area um we we just tried to say you have to tell us which food that you produce has gm is genetically modified and they're fighting against that because they don't want you to know they don't want you to know the poisons they're spraying. They don't want you to know the, the genes they're modifying. They want you to stay ignorant and, uh, you know, and, and, and die early, mm-hmm. right? So this is serious business when we're talking about our food and our water is going away. When we only can buy food that is poisoned and only buy water... Uh, that and by the way, we haven't talked about plastics and particleized plastics, yeah. but usually sold in plastic bottles. Um, that at one day, that even uh, um, uh, maybe even a middle class person will barely be able to afford to have water to drink, much less to use for anything else. And that's going around all around the world. There's about six companies around the world that are privatizing water in Africa and South America and Central America and in the United States, trying to get a hold of. City water production, city water management, and and all these springs around. Um, we had one up at Hood River. Uh, uh, they wanted to come in Nestle's, and we had a big battle against them. And but this is just going on constantly around us because we've allowed you know this uh, uh, these corporates to be able to just come in and destroy our planet. Yeah. And somehow we have to stop it. So we've been talking for about half an hour now. We have covered a, like a wide array of problems, um, and I'm sure we could talk for hours more just detailing the various issues. But I mean, we've just touched a little bit on the forest fires, which you know every summer now is like a national news story. And um, you know, I know people who are retired Forest Service, and they're not supposed to even be going out to fight fires because they're retired. That are getting constantly. During the summers, they have to be called back into service because 
the, I mean, the the way that the forest fires now are just a every summer is a, a huge, huge issue. There just isn't the ability to fight them for what we've budgeted. It has escalated so much in the last fifteen years. Yeah. We have floods. Now we have these uh, mega storms. We have more mega storms. Right. Uh, so we haven't even barely touched on any of this. <laughs> no, we're trying to just give the big picture yeah. here. So, and, and I've been watching this since the year 1999. I've been watching the rise in all of these sizes. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so I want to at this point, people are probably feeling pretty overwhelmed, <laughs> yeah. right? So I, I want to. I, I actually want to give a few, um, uh, you know, pieces of advice that yeah. you can actually do something. Okay. So this is a okay. Uh, you know, if there's actually something that I can do about it, lay it on me because I'm tired of hearing this, right? Okay. So I want to name a couple things, okay? And some of them may sign, seem uh, trite, but but I believe that, that they may help you reconnect with the place that maybe you really want to be at with the earth. So the first thing I would say is restore your connection with sacred water and sacred earth. Restore that connection. Realize that you are part of this earth. Um, find that place on this earth that, that gives you peace. Allow the animals, the birds, etc. to speak to you in whatever way that works for you. And, and even take every morning, take that water seriously. When you get your first drink of water or whatever, and, and give thanks for that, mm. that, how precious it is. And just restore that connection that needs to be restored. You once told me that water is sometimes called first medicine. Yeah, that's right. That helped yeah. me so much. And, and we can't live without it. I mean, we, we only get three days, right? Anything. Um, uh, our crops need it. Our animals need it. We need it. Nothing is going to work if we don't have water. So um, for us, we uh, for uh, Ketua people, those springs are sacred. And those rivers are sacred. And we have to protect those. Um, and, and allow the fish to have a place and etc. So, so yeah, restore that uh, sacredness. Um, that's a personal thing that everybody can do. Um, you might even pray over, you know, get a gl- up in the morning and 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 uh, you have a glass of water, regardless of what you know your system of belief is. You know, just pray over that water and give thanks for that water, and then drink that water. Um, secondly, I would say that you have to begin to deconstruct your own Western worldview. We've all been affected of it. It doesn't matter who we are. We've all been affected by this Western worldview that is dualistic, that is hierarchical, that is, um, you know, uh, categorical, extrinsically categorical. Um, you know, all the, the sort of bad things that I think we've mentioned on the program before, but, but especially this dualism. To, to think that we are not part of this earth and part of this water. We are indeed walking earth. Mm. And when we destroy the earth, we are destroying ourselves as well. That's even in the, the Genesis account. Is Adam is the, from the dust, right? right. From yeah. the dust you come, from the dust you shall return. You're walking dirt. Yeah, we're, we're made of much, the same stuff, the same salts and minerals and, you know, etc. Yeah. So another thing is to find ways to empower indigenous people, people who have, uh, maybe their people have lived for thousands and thousands of years on the same land that you're on, uh, to be a part of influencing the decisions that are made. Um, and, and that people will have to get creative, but 
They should be serving on um, fish and game boards. They should be serving on business councils. They should be serving in city government and in state government. Indigenous people's perspectives, um, uh, who still have a traditional perspective, need to be influencing the decisions that are made. Um, another one is um, to, to just pray for the earth. To, to not forget when you're in your prayer life, if you have a prayer life or your meditations or whatever, uh, meditate and pray on um, asking for help for Mother Earth. Huh. That the earth would live and be healthy just like the rest of your family. Can I just mention that if you are um, a person of faith, one of the disciplines that I have took up about 10 years ago is that when I pray... I don't close my eyes to block out the world that God loves so much. I intentionally have to find something beautiful that God made, like a tree out the window, uh, to focus on. But it has really exposed to me how most of our sanctuaries or classrooms are set up to block out the natural world. And so then I have to stare at a person, not in a creepy way, but stare at a person. (laughs) Because, right, if you're going to do that, but I just, I can no longer pray and pretend that it's just me talking to the divine or tuning into the divine right um, without and then block out that which God has made so beautiful yeah so the last thing is probably the first thing people would thought I would say and that is to take social and political action um, to organize um, to get involved with you know we, we the, the the last famous thing that we did was the code access pipeline right yeah. And so people finally got behind that because of social media, mostly, not because the major news networks carried it. You have to stand both with Native people and where there aren't Native people, stand for the earth um, in whatever that means. If it means to stop deforestation, if it means to stop pipelines from going through, um, if it means to stop polluters from dumping waste, you have to organize and take stands against that. Against that. Fortunately, there are a number of organizations like 350.org and Indigenous uh, Environmental Network and uh, I think, uh, what is Winona LaDuke's group called the, um, is it White Earth Indigenous uh, uh, something? Um, you have the Rainforest Network. There's, there's a lot of, if you just start Googling um, both uh, you know, organizations like that or Indigenous Environmental Organizations or things, there's so many. You find one. You join it and you become start a chapter and you become a part of that. Oh, really? Oh. And start getting involved in the initiatives they say. Oh. So, so that's that's my advice. I think there's maybe what was that like five different things that yeah. people can do to get involved somehow in helping Mother Earth. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm sure this will not be the last time uh, we talk about this, but we had said a while ago that this was going to be a subject of one of the episodes, and so we had to just wade into somewhere. And so we just jumped in midstream. Let us know, a listener, if you have any feedback. But we want to say two things. Um, if you're looking for a Christmas present, we've got two suggestions. One is there's a seed company that you could uh, get seeds to put in people's stockings or underneath the tree. <laughs> so I'm going to link to that in the show notes. I think seeds would be a great thing to get. Sure. Grow your own stuff. We didn't even talk about that, did yeah. we? Yeah. There's also a children's book. Oh, Yeah. I know that guy. Yeah, yeah, it's a good, it's nice. So, so the Harmony Tree, a story of healing and community, 
Um, I, uh, thanks for being here. I didn't know you were going to bring these things up, right? So I'm a little bit embarrassed, but, but I, I really believe in what that book teaches, and it teaches the kinds of things we're talking about. All right, so you got seeds. I'll link to that in the show notes. We've got a children's book. These are great Christmas presents. We also want to say thank you to our Patreon supporters uh, for stepping up and uh, supporting us. If you would like to support us financially, if you like what you heard, if you want to be a part of this conversation, Follow the link in the Patreon uh, below and uh, sign up and we will be in contact. We also have a live Zoom coming up that we'd love for you to be a part of. Yeah. So uh, thanks everybody for joining us. Uh, Remember to do your part for the earth. Peace out.